rocking better than ever. Tim Ward, how you doing, buddy? I'm trying to get my eardrums back. Come on, ah, Tim. Good, JP. How's it going? It's good. What's been going on? <laughs> Not much. I recovered from the, the one-day flu I had. Good. That's good. We talked offline, and you weren't feeling too hot, and I was hoping it wouldn't go rampant through the house, and then you guys would be sick all weekend. Um, I've recovered, and I'm ready for our next guest, Tim. Let's bring him on. Let's just, you know, cut the small talk, and let's go right into the, because he's got a lot to talk about, and we got a little bit of time to talk about it. Exactly. This is uh, Dane Hansen 3.0. Dane is our uh, IAPMO correspondent from... Uh, from uh, you know the hill, and he tells us everything we need to know about what's going on on Capitol Hill in Washington D.C. So, Dane, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Dane. Hey, guys. Good to be back. I'm glad to join you again. So, thanks for having me. We yeah. need some Les Nessman helicopter noises. Is your special correspondent from Washington for Atmo? Yeah. <laughs> hold, hold, yeah. I might even have. I might have that. Hold on. Oh no, that's not the one. That's the typewriter. That's the sports reporter's typewriter. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the the Watergate <laughs> exactly. Bob Woodward Bob Woodward type. <laughs> You're not that's too far right. from there, are you though, Dane? No. So you know, if you drive to our office from the airport, either airport, uh, Reagan or Nat or uh, Dulles, you'll cross the river right next to uh, the Watergate. Yeah, you yep. won't. It's, everything's right there. So <laughs> kind of crazy to be in the in the cusp of all the historical trauma and drama that's happened over the years. Yeah. So Dana, you know, we wanted to have you back, you know, this, uh, I don't even know what you call it, the infrastructure package. What's the official name for it? Well, there's many different names, the infrastructure package, the IIJA investment. Yeah. Um, And so there's, there's several different words for it. Um, Most people are just calling it the investment package or infrastructure package. So, yeah, but the official name is the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. But so, uh, so there, yeah. there's a lot to go through. I know what is it, fifty-five billion dollars that was uh, allocated towards like the plumbing and, and water. Yeah, just for water specifics. Yeah. yeah. So there is there's a, there's a lot in there. Fifty-five billion that is specifically you know for infrastructure water related needs, and it's pretty impressive because you know by all accounts. This is arguably the largest investment since the New Deal after the Great Depression on our water infrastructure in U.S. history. So it's pretty, pretty monumental um, by all accounts. And, you know, the money's, you know, the official starting block started, you know, it's a, this is the first year officially. It's a five-year project, five-year funding package over the $55 billion. And uh, the first year of it's already now. So we're already, you know, almost halfway through the year of where this money is already starting to flow you know dan you know you mentioned it's an impressive bill but doesn't it kind of piss you off a little bit when you hear like 40 billion dollars is allocated to ukraine and i'm not saying that's not a good cause for it why aren't we taking care of our own country (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah well you know without getting into the too political side of it you know fundamentally you know these come out of it's it's not because of the Ukraine issue, we weren't able, it's not like, right. No, I know we weren't able to invest in this. So fundamentally, I agree, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of views on this and you're right. You know, there's a lot of controversy recently with the whole Ukraine package that passed. And there was many, 
members of Congress who voted against it for that exact reason that you raised, John. Um, but I do think from a, a fundamental standpoint, if you're looking at, you know, the, the $55 billion in water specific funding and, and you know, that's uh, going to be a massive investment. And it does really target, you know, the those most vulnerable of our populations, whether it be, you know, low income communities, you know, there's just just $30 billion alone has been designated to the, the drinking water, you know, the SRFs. And so you're you're talking about, you know, at least 15 billion just for the removal of lead pipes. And and so and then when you start getting into even some of the further details of these programs, you're talking, you know, these these schools that have been lead laden for years that the kids have been relying on bottled water in these schools. So there are uh, an, a significant amount of money is being appropriated and spent. I think the the bigger question is, can it be done in a way by getting through the bureaucracy that is needed to get the money where it's needed to actually make the biggest impact? That's the kind of the ultimate question right now, because you know you may have heard about you know intended use plans, and and, and those are essentially an intended use plan is something that states have done for the SRFs. Uh, funding in, in in the federal government for many many years, but the infrastructure money requires a very specific SRF, you know, for how they plan to spend the each year's money in the infrastructure package. The problem is a lot of states don't have have not submitted their newest SRF um, intended use plan. I mean, we even heard recently, as of about a month ago, the state of New York they have not finalized their intended use plan and what they're planning to go after. And for the infrastructure dollars and, and keep in mind that they're not alone. Like there's very few states who have, there's very few states who have done so. And the problem that we are not getting concerned with, but it causes pause is that, that like I'm indicated at the beginning, this is a five-year project. These, these, this money has to be se- separated out by five years. So there's a legitimately a separate pot of money each year. So, you know, the legislation is very clear. There's a certain amount of money for year one, year two, year three, year, year all the way. We're already halfway through year one. And so these intended use plans haven't even been submitted yet to the federal government. And if that's the case, you're already, you know, it could be six to eight months into the first year before the federal government even is going to approve of those intended use plans or not, or want them revised before the money starts flowing into the state. So potentially you're seeing, you know, a very big backlog of, of projects that could even get started. Um, So you know, I think that's that's a concern, um, especially because when you look at the states, and I know this is a question that I guess get asked quite a bit is, you know, as a manufacturer, as a contractor, as a utility, as a business owner, whatever, how do you get a piece of this pie? You know, it's a very large set of money. How do you get involved? Outside of probably, I would say 10%, you know, there's still some direct grants by the federal government, but generally speaking, the vast majority of it is going to be determined by by the state gov- by the governor or the state legislature through their intended use plans. Um, either in some states, the the legislature votes upon those. Like in New York, it actually goes out for public comment. You know, just like a federal, like a rulemaking would. You know, they issue their draft intended use plan of how they plan to use the federal infrastructure dollars. That goes out for public comment. You know, any stakeholder can give input and what it should do, and and you know what are some of the caveats, and what are some of the requirements or standards or practices that should be required within there. So, you know, I think the 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 big question is a the money's there, but also you know is it going to get to where it's needing to go quickly enough 
Um, and I think you'll see a, a big influx later this year because, you know, I don't mean to be rambling on, but I do think it's important to note that even though this infrastructure pa- package has passed, we're not seeing much of the actual money get to where it needed to get to yet. It's still there. And so that's a that's an important point that people are going to say, hey, I'm not seeing things change. I'm not seeing, you know, these these streets being dug up yet. I'm not seeing these schools being, you know, because money's not has not been there yet. It's not there yet. And so it's still still yet to be um, impacted. Dan, I'm curious with the bottleneck seeming to be at the state level, are midterm elections playing into this at all? No, I, I mean, it really isn't because, I mean, when it comes down to, I mean, maybe I can't say that by sure. certainty in every state, but generally speaking, you know, there are some states where the state legislature does have to ultimately approve these intended use plans. So there may be some local politicking happening at the, you know, at the uh, state and local level for a state race of some sort. But generally speaking, you know, Congress is, they, they've done their part. You know, they've washed mm-hmm. their hands. They, they, they've dusted their hands of this and moved on. And they're moving forward. So the the, the federal elections, whether it be through Senate, House, or uh, others, it's, mm-hmm. it wouldn't it wouldn't have that much of an impact. It's the bottleneck is really because you know these these state regulatory agencies, and in in some states it's the Department of Health, and others it may be you know the Department of Transportation, and others it could be the governor's office. They ultimately have to basically you know they're seeing some of the biggest influx of dollars they've ever seen in their state, and because of that. They're now basically having to dissect. Wow, you know, this is the biggest amount of money we've seen in, you know, in in a hundred years potentially. How do we spend this the best way possible? And so they're really doing their due diligence and figuring that out before they can file these intended use plans. So I wouldn't. I mean, I'm sure there are politicking happening at some level at some point, but I wouldn't say that bottleneck is happening. It's just you have state agencies who now are trying to take on these behemoth projects. Just yeah. billions of dollars coming into their state in some in some cases where they historically have not had that kind of issue. So now, how do they prioritize projects? You know, they're getting lobbied by every entity, every organization is now saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, you need to fund this and fund that," or the teachers' unions, or the you know whoever it is. You know, the, the manufacturers, the contractors, they're all trying to push their pet projects or whatever they see that should be um, funded into this. So you know, everyone's kind of a full blitz lobbying effort in. And I do think there's some legitimate need for that. To your point, the politics at the local level are such where, you know, these guys, you know, some of these policymakers are not experts, you know, in the in the trade. They're not experts in construction, you know. And so for them to get, you know, what is the best practices? What are the best materials? What are the best, you know, standards or training that should be required for this? You know, that's an important piece of this. No, Dana, I always say you're the hardest working guy in D.C., I truly mean that. I mean, you you do great things. You get information and you bring it down to a level where people can understand and for our audience and our listeners. So we appreciate you coming on. You're our first three-time guest, by the way. Three times. I need a trophy. (laughs) I need a podcast trophy. (laughs) I know. know. But I have to say, you know, we saw each other a couple weeks ago at the Emerging Water Technology Symposium. I yes. think that's what you call it. <laughs> yeah, you did you did a great job in your MC duties there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um always good to see you and uh you were on a panel with some other people talking about this infrastructure package. Yeah. One thing I asked you after it was over is that when all this money is being distributed, well, first of all, we're at this emerging technology symposium where we're learning about all this new technology and all these different way of designing buildings and and more efficiently and, and, you know, building it so we're not 
potentially being exposed to pathogens like Legionella and things like that. So we're designing better. And then when I hear that this money is being distributed from the government, my fear is, are we just building back status quo? Are we just building back to status quo instead of better? Are we implementing some of these things that we learned a couple of weeks ago? Um, and how, how do we build back better? Well, I think that's a great point. And this is where a lot of the times, anytime there's any federal dollars being spent, and this includes not only domestically in terms of the infrastructure package, but also in terms of our foreign aid. This is something that we've received bipartisan support for is that, you know, if you're using taxpayer dollars, it needs to be built to a minimum standard. It needs to be built to a minimum code. It needs to be built to minimum best practices of training because of that exact point. You know, if you're going to just simply throw money at a problem and not only and not fundamentally address the issue, then, you know, you're throwing good money after bad. And so ultimately, IATMO and other organizations, we've sent a letter to every single governor in the country to say, when you're looking to, inf- to spend these in this infrastructure money, these are some minimum standards you should look at. You know, you should look at some minimum criteria. You should look at, you know, minimum, you know, water quality standards. You should make sure that, you know, the filtration systems you put in are tested and certified by a third party. You know, they should be verified and they should make, do what they say they're going to do. So you don't get this massive influx of just junk being put in there. And so we're back at the same place, you know, 10 years from now with leaking, you know, pipes and Yep. Corroding infrastructure and all this BS. But yep. anyway. No, I think you're you're spot on. I think you're very it's very astute of you to even point that out because we don't want to get in the same issue. We have a we have a once in a generation type of a opportunity here and let's make it happen. You know, we have literally kids and preschools and veteran centers and that are in legitimate need of water quality and water safety um, addressing. And let's make that happen. You know, one area we talk about you know, the need to build back to minimum standards and minimum training and min- minimum competency in, in those installing it. Um, because you can have the great best material in the world, but if you're not a competent installer, it's not going to do a whole lot. And so, you know, are you just going to, you know, go by some fly by night uh, installers that just show up because they want to get access to some money or they're going to have some minimum qualifications. So we have those issues. But one thing I think is important to really point out and you and I spoke about this, John, in person, was we're having a major issue in supply chain issues, you know, in, in materials. Um, and you're now talking about, you, I talk to manufacturers quite often, you know, some of the biggest distributors in our in the world to some of the biggest manufacturers in the world from uh, in our trade and in our industry. And there's jobs that they're just saying, we're not, you know, providing estimates for big jobs in the, fu- in the near future because we don't know when we can deliver on those. We don't know when we're going to get the products needed to actually get those major commercial projects underway. And so you're already starting to see, you know, issues with supply chain. Um, so is that going to continue to be an issue? So, and the, and the important note is that's just with the current demand in the United States, the current construction demand. Now, that's, this is before the infrastructure bill has really dropped a dime in a lot of these states. So now all of a sudden you have states that are all going to be going after the same pipe without lead. They're all going to be going after the same type of material that they need. And all of a sudden you have a massive amount of, of demand that wasn't there before, even when we had issues with supply chain. So are we just going to compound the problem and people aren't going to get access to addressing some of these issues? And even, you know, privately talking to some manufacturers, they're saying, 
we really don't know how we can keep up with some of that demand um, as you know the the billions of dollars start flowing that are required with this infrastructure package. So, you know, we're we're going to see supply chain issues unfolding quite a bit. And then on top of that, and I think this is may help, but I'm sure you guys are probably starting to see you know some softening of our economy a little bit. You know, we're starting to see talking to a big contracting group in DC last week where they're saying on average they used to have you know six to eight week time set up for contractors to show up to do jobs. You know, they're planning big, big projects six to eight weeks out. They're now planning two to three weeks out. You know, the there's not as many jobs as they used to have, you know, even six months ago. And so you're starting to see a softening of the economy already. So you're seeing kind of a myriad of issues where maybe the economy is starting to slow down a little bit. You know, in our trade, I think there's still such a backlog. It'll be some time before you see some major, major corrections. But and then the, but the benefit, you have the massive amount of infrastructure dollars who are going to help kind of insulate that a little bit because that money has to be spent over the next five years. And that's going to keep the industries pretty busy, too, even if the economy starts to soften a little bit. Yeah, that that recession word isn't something we really want to talk a lot about. But, you know, the, the audience of contractors that listen to our podcast, John and I talked last week about the builder's confidence level survey that came out and it's showing it's um, at its lowest point since uh, April of 2020. Softening of the economy, gas prices at all-time highs, interest rates creeping up. I mean, there's a, as you said, there's a myriad of challenges right now in the economy. And you would think with this infrastructure plan that, you know, hopefully these states would clear the bottleneck to get this money rolling into the economy to help the economy. I'm, I'm just, it, it can be frustrating if you're that contractor just wanting a piece of the pie, as you said. No, I think you're spot on. I mean, this is, I, this is where it's, I mean, the, by default, you know, I don't think the intention of the infrastructure plan was to create a stimulus, but by default, it may be doing just that. You know, you, you were, like you said, you're starting to see the builder's confidence decrease a little bit, all these other issues. So, you know, having a guaranteed five-year, you know, roll of money over the next five years from the government, over $55 billion just for our issues over the next five years, that's a pretty big stimulus slow, floating slowly into the state. So it may have that exact intended um, impact without you know, that being the original intention, but hopefully it'll never come. Hopefully the economy will never get to that point um, in the next few years. But the other issue that we see with infrastructure as well is, you know, we talked about the supply chain issue, but just having, you know, the proper training for trained professionals to install these, you know, we don't, there's a backlog, whether it's eight weeks or three weeks, there's still a backlog of, you know, legitimate trained, competent contractors to do a job. And the problem that we're seeing is now you're going to, put in even more jobs and are you going to be able to even have the the workers that are needed to get this done so you know it's it's a complex issue um it's not going away anytime soon and i think you know i was joking with john i mean we could have almost like a a regularly scheduled podcast just on the implementation of the infrastructure package because this is five years and so we can even check in in six months and be like hey who has actually filed their intended use plan? What states are still haven't even done anything about this yet? And where why are they lagging behind? So this is gonna be something to be watching for many years to come, I think. Well, we should have you back as as soon as we can to dissect it even further. I was just curious, before you jumped on, you said you were uh you were just walking back to the office from the hill. What what were you doing there, Dane? So, you know, there's, there's several, you know, this is, this is the appropriation season. This is the year where the federal government, you know, this is the time of year where budgets are being sent because the way the, the, 
without getting too much in the weeds, the federal fiscal the fiscal year starts October 1st. So they have to get everything ready now and they're starting to hold their appropriations hearings. So, you know, any interest, any organizational industry interest that we have, whether it be on water quality, you know, construction, trades, those are all starting to be discussed. This is when, you know, agencies are starting to send in their administrators and their secretaries to come and testify to Capitol Hill to justify the budget that they're requesting. So we are up there, you know, supporting and trying to talk to members of Congress and staff on industry specific issues that need to be included in the next budget, which will come out eventually. So Congress is pretty busy, but generally speaking, April, May, June, springtime is the real big crunch because that's when the numbers are being determined and how they spend even more of your dollars. <laughs> now, I'm sure you're talking to a lot of their staff, but just I'm curious, and this is kind of a fun question. Do you have a favorite congressman or congresswoman or senator that you like to talk to because they're like really fun to talk to besides just talking business? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. There's, there, you know, there's some really good members of Congress that have been around for a while that aren't tainted, that aren't the political, like the ones where you're just not always talking politics because you, you legitimately have some people who are uh, just hardcore. I remember like Ben Nelson, a former senator from Florida, just a solid dude. You know, he, he hasn't been tainted. He's not a, he's not, he wasn't wet behind the ears. He's been here for a long time. Um, even the late, you know, Senator Orrin Hatch from Utah, you know, he wasn't a very political guy. He was one who always walked, worked across the aisle on issues and, and, and just, just to hear some of the stories from these people, you know, it's here are the stories about what happened, you know, on, on nine 11 and what they were dealing with here and what they were dealing with on various, uh, just historical moments in us history and, you know, when I started my career on Capitol Hill, I started working for a senator from Oregon, Senator Gordon Smith, who's a great, great guy as well. You know, very, very centrist type of a person. And I'll still never forget, you know, when I was talking to him personally, because he's just a really good guy. And I still keep in touch with him personally. He talked about how, you know, his first time he walked into Congress, he was walking up the stairs of the Capitol building. And as he's walking, if any, if you open invitation for both of you, if you ever get to DC, we'll get you in on the Capitol and, and show you around in the inside the the inner bowels of the Capitol building of where things happen. It'd be fun. But you'll notice when you're walking up these steps, which are marble on the edge of the steps, they're still square on the center of them. They're starting to wear away from hundreds of years of walking, you know, just these marbles just slow. And it's really cool to think about because, you know, when you step back and you're like, you walk through these areas and you're like, this is where Abraham Lincoln was walking up and down the stairs. This is where some of the greatest people of our generation and history of the United States walked in and out. And he's like, if you constantly keep that in the back of your mind, you keep in the back of your mind that you're doing this, not for the party, you're not doing it for the latest tweet, you're not doing it for the late, but you're doing it because of those who've gone before you. Those are the fun members of Congress to really talk about too. And um, there's some really, really cool stories um, that they can talk about that just leave you kind of awe-inspired. And it's like, wow, this is why people should be running for Congress. And maybe some of them that are there shouldn't be running because they're not for the same intention. Gives you a little different perspective for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dane, we got to run. I, I hate to cut you off, but um, thanks again for jumping on. We're going to have you on, you know, and I'll get you that trophy. We'll send that out. <laughs> Always maybe, maybe, maybe we'll do a live broadcast from, from Capitol Hill one day. That would be yeah. awesome. That so would be cool. Get, that would be you guys cool. get out here. So for sure. Always a pleasure, man. Hey, thanks, Dane. Really, really good seeing you guys, chatting yeah. with you guys.
Not Dead Yet podcast is powered by Mechanical Up Media and produced by John Masonbrink and Tim Ward. It is edited by John Masonbrink. Music presented by Jason Drum and graphics furnished by Wayne Rowe. Thanks for listening and until next week.